Wow. In this episode, we cover your burning questions as it relates to virtual events, hybrid learning, how to get your content, your live events, or your workshops in front of a broader audience. We talk about what criteria should you be thinking about when you're um, planning these learning events. This one is jam-packed with information from Louis Trahan. His company, Learnogistics, specializes in creating and producing events, and they pivoted in a massive way at the beginning of 2020 and have really honed themselves as a company on producing virtual events, all from the perspective of the learner's experience. This is super useful, and I hope that you will listen to the full episode and grab your notepad, take notes, because there's a lot of gold nuggets in this one. Creating courses and programs for your brand can be a massive undertaking, which could take years. The guests on your Greatest Work podcast have poured their heart, their soul, their finances into creating amazing products for their business with the intention of reaching more people, generating more income, spending less time while generating that income, and achieving success in all of its forms. Let's welcome today's guest as we discuss their challenges, joys, and ambitions to transform lives with their learning offer. You can't generate passive income with integrity until your offer is truly transformational and you can prove that it gets results for your clients. Clients are done with crummy courses and we're going to talk about how to make your greatest work. I'm your host, Manya Horner. Some traits which were formerly a negative in my life, such as attention to detail, out-of-the-box thinking, yearning to do things differently, and dreaming bigger than anyone around me, these used to be my shame, but now they're my greatest asset. Prepare for an intelligent conversation with people who are open for feedback and exercising humility as they continue in this pursuit of lifelong learning. Grab a notebook and capture some strategies that you can implement right away in the next iteration of your course. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Today's guest is Louis Trahan, and I've recently met Louis, and I am blown away by the work that they're doing, mainly in their delivery of virtual events. They have pivoted like nobody else from the pandemic. I'm so impressed with what they've been able to do. And I'm excited to be creating an event this coming year and hopefully leveraging some of the creativity that Louie has introduced me to. So thank you so much for being here. And I'm really excited to talk about virtual learning events with you. And also, um, you know, is is virtual and hybrid here to stay? Or are we going to go back to pre-pandemic? What are your outlooks on 2022 as it comes to hybrid and virtual events? So let's dig in. Thank you very much for having me, Manya. Um, you know, as you know, Logistics is a learning support company. So, uh, you know, whether it's our last minute training website or whether it's the virtual events we're running or the virtual classroom production we do, our job is to support corporate learning. And so it's really interesting to see how things are changing now. And you brought up a bunch of questions and they're all great questions. Um, which one should we dig into first? Well, let's dig into um, the pivot that you had to do in 2020. You likely had all of these in-person events lined up, ready to go for these corporate companies that hired you to do the production and run these, these live in-person events. 
And so that came crashing down and you did this big pivot. So describe briefly what you did to salvage your business and jump into this virtual model. And what have you learned as a result over the last almost two years now um, with this pivot? Mm. Yeah, it was a big pivot. We, before COVID, we can say that before COVID, um, we were really focused on training, live training. And we had two components of that. That was helping people find live training. And the second was running live learning events. We weren't really an events company. You wouldn't hire us to do uh, a town hall or a company party, uh, but we were the people you would call if you needed to roll out learning across the country. Um, so when when everything hit uh, in the first quarter of uh, 2020, it was 2020, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 2020. Yeah, in 20, it seems so long now. Uh, when everything hit, we, we like most businesses, really you know, see the impact immediately. And we were a little concerned because we didn't do anything virtually. We weren't an mm-hmm. e-learning company. We didn't even really do a lot of virtual training. So trying to figure out what to do was challenging. Luckily, uh, my team and I really came up with this concept of creating a, a nonprofit a project that uh, would allow trainers to teach virtually to people and pay whatever they can. Through the process of that, we realized that, hey, running a virtual training course is really not any different than running it live. It's just a different venue. And we started looking at what did we used to do with the live events and what was missing virtually. So what services couldn't we do? Like there was no catering anymore. There were no guest rooms anymore. Um, But what was there still? And what more did we need? And the biggest pivot for us was realizing we could move from a, a physical venue to a virtual venue. And then the other big aha moment for us in that was when you're running a virtual event and you're running it properly, it's really no different to run a virtual training session than to run a virtual team building or a Mm -hmm. virtual Christmas party. So we expanded our services very quickly um, into that virtual space. We developed our, uh, in partnership with um, a company that we work closely with, platform and figured out what we needed to do and we hit the ground running and by June of that year we were running three-day conferences worldwide global user conferences so it was a lot of fun that's amazing Mm -hmm. and I feel like you're massively downplaying how interesting these virtual spaces are that you're creating (laughs) so can you just kind of hype it up for us a little bit because it's really cool I think for participants, it's actually quite unique that they can join one of these events and feel really immersed into a different kind of environment. So be honest, tell us a little bit more about <laughs> how cool it actually is. Yeah, so it is cool, but it's not cool from a technological standpoint. Um, what's cool is we we quickly understood that an event still has to be an event. Mm-hmm. And the challenge that people were having is they were trying to run these all-day sessions or these four or five-hour sessions on a single platform. So they would start a Zoom meeting and then they would go through this single step of, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. It was very linear and everybody had to do the same thing. The challenge with that is in an event, not everyone always wants to do the same thing. And so we looked at that and said, you know, we still want to use these platforms, but how can we make it feel like an event? How can we build memories uh, as opposed to just, having people come off with Zoom fatigue at the end, of, at the, end of, the, of the session. So we realized that we just had to structure it that way. In a real event, you go to a different room. Mm-hmm. In a real event, you, you may take a break and go to a lounge and sit and talk. 
there might be a photo booth there. Uh, and so what we did was we just put all these things together into a very simple platform so that when you come in, you log on, you go to the main stage for the, for the keynote speaker, but then when you go to a breakout room, you actually leave that Zoom meeting yeah. or that WebEx meeting, and you go to another room and you go into that. And just that process of moving from here to here to here to here really makes you feel like you're not on one long meeting. Right. And, and you've then, created like a, a visual space as well. That's yes. interesting, right? So you can custom tailor these, I'm, I'm in air quotes, locations for, yeah. you know, a corporate setting or um, a hotel looking environment or even an outdoor space. Like you've really created some interesting customized spaces just using visuals. Yeah, we've got everything from just a single lobby with a curtain to we created a uh, customized resort looking venue. But typically we have about eight venues that we use uh, and then we, we don't customize them as much as rebrand them. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So if we're creating it for um, Bell Canada, we'll use their logo, their color scheme, their sure. fonts. If we're creating it for RBC, we would do the same. Yeah. Um, so um, it's just really a way to, to make it feel like you're coming somewhere, right? Uh, and to match your brand. If you're running a a, uh, a user conference or you're running a gala event, you're not going to use the same venue live. No, no, you're so going to use a ballroom or something. Box. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I so, want to, I want to say to the listeners that it's surprisingly not as out of reach as you think, as you might yeah. think. So like financially speaking, check it out because if you're planning, you know, a, a summit or an event that is going to be hybrid, or there's going to be a lot of um, this virtual situation, check it out. I think it could really make or break um, your project. And if you have the budget, it's worth it. I think it's worth it. People will be talking about that event. I think so. And we are seriously, uh, it is not a huge expense. No, it's not. What we did was we don't do this as, we, we don't rent that platform as a service. So we're not hopping. We're not one of these big platforms where their business is to pump as many people through and you want customizations, it's fifteen, twenty thousand dollars mm -hmm. We built this to be part of the service that we offer as a full event planning service. Okay, so, so describe more about that. Does that mean you set up video production for the keynote speaker? Like describe a little bit more about how you support these virtual events beyond just that technology platform. Yeah, so the virtual events, we, we do everything from bringing the entertainment to finding the trainers. We offer virtual uh, production. So even when you have a session going on, just like if you had a session live, you'd have an AV person in the room. Mm -hmm. When you have a session live, we have one of our producers in the room that are there to support the, the uh, facilitator or the speaker. Um, we provide the, the, the photo booths um, when you need one. You don't always want a photo mm -hmm. booth. Um, but we do all the planning and mm -hmm. all the production. We do the tech checks. We can ship out kits if people need a camera and a microphone. Mm -hmm. We could ship them out. We don't typically go out and mic you because mm -hmm. if you think about COVID back when this started, it was all about not seeing anybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and when you're doing virtual, you don't need a million dollar camera set up. You need, you know, a $200 Logitech camera. You need a good microphone like you're using there. Yeah. Um, so it's not so much about that equipment. Uh, and this is what's given us the edge, I believe in running these events is that there were two types of people who moved into virtual events. There were the AV companies and event planners. 
AV companies come with this legacy that they're carrying around equipment of, of rates that they mm-hmm. charge, of run of the show the way they run, right? Give me what's going to happen and I'll switch the cameras. And we came at it from the, what's the experience? And so when we're planning, we're planning from the experience down. Uh, and um, I think that's the biggest value you get from us is we've done enough of these that we understand that this is not going to work. And um, I think a good example, we had to do a conference for an organization who has a worldwide audience and literally split worldwide. Right. Uh, so the time zones are ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Huge Australia, New Zealand um, audience and a huge North American audience. And they wanted to know how to do it. They used to bring everyone together. And uh, we ended up telling them they couldn't. And we ended up running two identical conferences, one after another, one in the morning and one in the evening. Wow. Same speakers, same everything, uh, to allow them to make sure that all of the virtual participants were first class. Mm-hmm. So no one was treated as, also, I'm also there. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's that experience that we've got, that, that by being early to the game, and it's so funny to say early to the game when we're talking about a year ago. I know. A year and a half ago. Like, it's crazy. That was early. <laughs> well, you um, jumped right away. And so yeah. I want to actually dig a little bit into what you're actually doing differently. So when you think about creating this experience from the top down that you mentioned, are there like three criteria that are must haves to create an environment where people go, wow, that was great. I want to come to one of those again. So what are like, maybe give us, give me three criteria that you're like, these must be in place and they must be good. Well, the, the first thing is it must be easy. There's nothing worse than going onto a platform and not being able to find your way around and missing a session because you can't get to the session, needing to go back to your email to find a link. Yeah, that's a pain. All that stuff yeah, has to be gone. Uh, the second thing is you need choice. No one, no one wants to, to be forced to do things they don't want to do. So you want to you wanna make sure that you've given them choice. And I think the most important thing is you want to refactor everything. And, you know, you're not going to do a 45-minute keynote anymore. If you're going to have to shorten it or you're going mm. to have to split it up. You're going to have to build it differently. You need to have more interaction, much, much more interaction. So some, what are some of the ways that you can include more interaction in these online or hybrid events? Like, give me some well, examples of that. Like, not just like, oh, yeah, we make them... I don't know, get up and stretch, but like, what are some legitimate ways that we can get people to interact with each other or network? I find this to be a frustration, um, you know, where you attend this great event for the networking, and then there's no real easy way of connecting with the people that are at the event. Like there's no way to be like, connect with them all on their LinkedIn quickly, or, you know, it just feels like you're sitting there and you're like, oh, bummer, that was a waste. I paid money to go to this thing. I hope to be able to connect with these people after fact, but I don't mm-hmm. even know who they all were that attended. Have you ever solved that? That's a pet peeve of mine. Well, as an event planning company, we've solved it by choosing the right platform. So our platform is great for events, but it's not always the perfect platform. I mean, if you're running solely a networking event, there are other platforms that do it better. But if you're talking about interactivity and engagement, there are so many ways you can do it. And there are the simple things, which is really just checking in more often with, with the people who are virtual, making sure you have uh, someone to be a virtual attendee advocate. Maybe they're watching the chat 
um, you know, to help make sure that you're, you're engaging with people who need to be engaged with. You use all of the typical platforms. Like there's, you should have breakouts. You mm-hmm. should have polling. You mm-hmm. should have this type of thing uh, happening in your events. It's just that it has to happen on a more programmed basis so that you're checking in more often, so that you're giving them a, uh, a new way of doing things um, every, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, you're changing the scene. You have a different speaker coming on. Maybe you're running it in a format where you can bring them on stage to participate. Mm-hmm. It really depends on the type of event. Uh, you know, you, you could build gamification throughout the event, and that's a big one, uh, is to be able to use products that have QR codes or uh, ways that they can do almost like a scavenger hunt during the event. So if you attend this event, you attend the speaker, you get points. If you go and check out the virtual showroom that the clients just launched, you can get points. If you take a photo, you can get points. If you go to the lounge, you can get points. So there are so many ways, but a lot of it comes down to the structure of the actual presentations. Yeah. Um, and making sure that you factor everything in right from the beginning. And I think this is not just learning events. This is virtual learning in general. Yeah, that's right. And so we did mention um, when you and I were kind of talking earlier about what did we want to cover here, we wanted to talk a bit about how do you present online in a way that's, you know, more engaging. So you're just touching upon that right now. So if, if I'm advising a keynote speaker or one of the panelists, what do you suggest people consider or do a little differently than what they maybe would do if they're on a live stage, an in-person stage? Yeah, in an in-person stage, it's a lot easier to read the room. Right. To get the feedback, right? So it's a lot more difficult when you're doing it virtually, which is why the check-ins become important. But also, you've got a smaller window. Mm-hmm. When I'm standing virtually, you can see all my body language. When I'm talking to you over the screen, you can't. So you have to keep your move, your hand movements up. Um, you know, what, one really simple thing is if you're, if you're counting one, two, three, and you're making three points and you do this, first we do this, second we do this, and third we do this. Well, on the screen right now, it looks like I went backwards. Yeah. So you need to remember this, this, and this. So there are just some very basic presentation skills in themselves that you can learn. And there are, you know, we run training sessions all the time as part hmm. of our package for the presenters who who care to attend. Uh, also ways to talk, ways to understand how to lean in, how to lean out, how to light yourself. Like there's just a ton of little technical stuff. Then there's the, how do I make sure that I'm building engagement in? So every four minutes am I checking in? When am I doing breakouts? How often am I, am I, am I breaking people into rooms? How often am I changing the format? So I've been talking for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Should I be switching to a video? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are... Courses you can take on that as well. I mean, sure. there's a, a huge factor. The other thing is making sure that you treat your presenters like you would live. And a good example of that is simply if I'm talking live and my microphone dies, mm-hmm. I don't change the batteries. I don't go and fiddle with the with the mixer. I just wait for the for the IT person, the AV guy, and they come out with a microphone and they give it to me, and I keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge is when we went virtual, we put all of that onus onto the presenter that's right and onto the trainer so now if your mic's not working or if forget if my mic's not working if as an attendee their mic's not working i'm now the troubleshooting and that's, that's just so not tough. fair Ooh. yeah it, it, it's 
Anytime as a presenter or a trainer, you have to go from presenting to pushing buttons, the efficacy of your message is gone. It's right. You lose your train of thought. You lose your train of thought. The learner experience declines. If it takes you, you know, 30 seconds to figure out how to share your screen, that 30 seconds, about like three minutes. That's right. So you need to make sure you're having an admin sort of like assistant, a tech person that's there running the screen share, running the polls, doing all the clicking. So that speaker just focuses on their body language and their speaking. Yeah, a hundred percent. The 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 biggest learning we've come out of this with from a presentation standpoint or from a delivery aspect is the importance of what we call a virtual classroom producer or a virtual producer. Hundred percent. Not the same as a TV producer. We're not being creative, but we're there. We've created a producer guide. You can call them Sherpas, you can call them co-hosts, uh WebEx calls them directors. Whatever your terminology is, having that support for your trainer and for your learner yeah. is important because you need to maintain that learner experience at a high level. Yeah. And maintaining that's those probably, roles is so key, right? It is. Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. Do you have any tips for, as we are starting to get into back into the, um, you know, live in-person events, but there's still people who maybe can't travel or who can't visit or, or are nervous about joining in person, whatever the reasons are, we're still seeing people are split, right? There's still a divide, a dividing line between who is joining live and who's not. Um, so how can we run hybrid events? Are you seeing anything coming up um, for this upcoming year where we will get a lot more of these live and in-person events with a virtual component? So what are you seeing for hybrid? Yeah, so I'm seeing a, a lot of conflicting studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it feels like is that conferences and trade shows and want to go back live. Um, whereas corporate learning may be more interested in staying virtual and learning events, events that are really about the learning mm-hmm. are likely to stay more virtual. Um, from a hybrid standpoint, the biggest challenge is for conferences is how do you bring that experience of live to a virtual person? It's not so easy. You can't just screen speakers because we've just gone through all the things you have to do differently with a virtual audience. Um, So from a conference point of view, it's going to be really interesting to see Mm -hmm. how that happens. I suspect what's going to happen is shadow conferences. So we're having this conference and we're having a live one and a virtual one. Yeah. And they're actually two separate things. Two separate. They may share a speaker. Yeah. May share a keynote. They may may share some networking capabilities or some online booths to match the physical booths. Mm-hmm. I think you might see that happening. Um, where I see the biggest challenge in and the biggest area of opportunity in hybrid is in the learning component. Okay. Um, because we have to make a decision. We're at a crossroads. There was virtual training before. No one really wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Now it's been forced on us. And we've had some learning lessons. One of those learning lessons is it's actually it actually works better in many cases to to train virtually. It does. Because you don't have that legacy issue of I'm flying in everybody, so I need to slam it all into a three-day session. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can break it into half-day sessions over over you know six weeks. Well, and we're doing a way <coughs> better job of leveraging um, I'll call it the knowledge-based stuff. And we're pulling that out of these live interactions and we're giving people more of these like self-paced things that they can do to learn and kind of gather that knowledge. And then when we are meeting live, 
we're able to use that time more effectively to have the discussions or do skills practice or, um, you know, have that, those coaching elements with the facilitator. So like, we're actually using our time better because it used to be, you know, you'd have these three day facilitated workshops and you'd have everybody sitting there for all these lecture series. It's like, Oh, why? Like you could have pulled this entire thing out of this and someone could have just read a booklet or watched a video. Um, you know, yeah. So I like that we have more opportunity to use people's time more wisely. Um, in virtual learning. School. Sorry, sorry, I just, inter- I, no, I just go ahead. interrupted you in the middle. I honestly need to get a quick thing of water. I'm going to not be able to answer you anymore. <coughs> yeah. Okay, I, so let's start again. Okay. Um, just to remind you, the question was around, oh yeah, just kind of talking about using people's time more wisely. So maybe just respond to that. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you don't go to the depth that you, you were talking where you mix uh, the, the delivery methods between live and recorded, the, the fact of, is if you can take a three-hour session, deliver that learning, and then give someone the chance to practice it, mm-hmm. and then reflect on it before you move on to the next component of learning, the, the retention is going to be so much better. Yep. Uh, and now we don't have to worry about travel costs. We don't have to worry about, you know, the trainers are now getting to the point where they have half day rates because they can book more than one, one mm-hmm. gig at, the t- at a time in the beginning of COVID, they didn't know how to, to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's, it's this opportunity is there to say to ourselves as learning development experts, do we start where we are now or do we start where we were? So when we're approaching hybrid, is it we're going to take live and we're going to figure out how to bring remote students in? Or should we be saying, Let's do remote first. Let's refactor everything so that it's supposed to be delivered remotely. And then we'll just bring the live students to the remote class. Because from a technological aspect, it's a lot easier to add a live student into a remote class and give them the full experience than it is to bring a remote student into a live class. Because, you know, as a remote student, you need to be able to see everything, Mm -hmm. hear everything, interact. That's not so easy to do with the technology that exists right now much easier to go the other way. And that way you will also develop the learning so that it's formatted to be delivered virtually so those mm-hmm. virtual students are learning, right? That the knowledge is being transferred appropriately. Uh, and I think this is where it's going to be interesting to see uh, from a hybrid component is which way is that going to go? And I really hope we go the remote, remote first. first. Because just like we went mobile first for web development and for search, you know, it, this with, with stay at home, uh, with work from home, in with uh, with just such a distributed workforce, even offices that are connected together now through technology, through Google Rooms and Zoom Rooms. Um, I really think that's the way to go, and I hope it is. Um, but we'll have to see. The, the fantastic thing about our industry is we just don't know what's coming up. That's true, and we're so good at creative problem solving. That's what we do. Um, I think. I want, you know, I think I agree with you that it should be remote first. We saw all these people scrambling going, okay, we got to take our formerly in-person stuff and we got to quickly slap it into an online format. And that just wasn't working. It was, that's like, sure, maybe like for the first couple of weeks, but immediately they, you know, people were, should have, or hopefully were starting to look at their content and going, okay, how do we actually redesign this for online? Um, Because taking live learning and just trying to like, 
flip it into a, a virtual Zoom delivery is not effective. And I saw this mainly at the academic level, you know, the colleges and the universities and the specialized professional training schools, like they didn't switch anything except for offer their presentation on Zoom. And that's not good enough. No. And it took a long time for them to realize that sitting Mm -hmm. in front of a Zoom meeting for six hours wasn't going to cut it. I mean, the good news is most people have moved away from that now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most people have refactored and figured out. So now that we figured out, why would we go back? Yep. I agree. Move forward. March on. I agree. Um, quickly before we leave um, the podcast, because I'm recognizing that we're just, we could talk about this for hours and hours, especially you and I, but um, tell us a little bit more about your marketplace, because one of the things that my Mm. listeners love is how the frick do I sell my course? How do I get it in front of more eyeballs, more of my audience? So you have a marketplace. Can you give us a little description about that and um, how it works, because I think a lot of people love just to have things that expand their mind about, oh, I can, I can sell my stuff in different ways. No, absolutely. So 17 years ago, we launched, it's a long time ago, we launched uh, Canada's first online marketplace for training. We do not provide training as a company. We match training providers with people who need training. Uh, and that's how the, the company started with the concept that in a public session, and I know it's a little different now with things being delivered, e-learning and, and virtually. But back then, uh, in a public session, you always end up with empty seats. And those mm-hmm. empty seats are just lost revenue opportunities. So uh, why not put them for sale at the last minute and save some money? So that hence the last minute training uh, portal was born. And that's what that, that web property does. It basically allows you as a trainer to list your courses for sale uh, with a couple of seats at a discount at the last minute to help pick up anyone who may just not have the budget um, or who are flexible enough to make last minute decisions. It's not, in essence, a lot different than Coursera or Udemy or any of these other marketplaces selling e-learning. It's just that when we started, it was for, for live courses, primarily. Anything that was not self-paced. I think this is interesting. And you're aimed mostly at the corporate audience, right? So your training is mainly relevant for employees at companies. Mm-hmm. Like, is this is the type of training more, um, you know, like tech related, skill, uh, skills or sales related? What kind of content do you host there? Yeah, no, it's 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 funny. When we started, we thought our client would be small businesses or individuals who are struggling to afford skills development. And we noticed really quickly that if that wasn't the case, what it was, was we were getting corporations buying up us for convenience. Mm. So, hey, I can go to this one source and there's 80 different training providers on there. I can just search, compare them all and buy. <clears throat> now, it is very, um, our, our marketplace does tend to be very technology focused. And that's because if you think about, you know, anytime three years before, three years before now, oh, um, <laughs> It's really difficult to run technology training. You need a data center, you need servers, you need yep. computers. And, um, and so a lot of what was available at their publicly was that type of training. Um, when it came to soft skills training, a lot of the soft skills training is customized. Mm-hmm. Sales training is very customized. So you're not gonna find, often you're not gonna find a training course you could attend. Yeah, you're not usually finding something that's generic enough to pull people from a whole bunch of industries and um, 
companies because everybody has their own model and their own, yeah. you know, way of way of training their salespeople. Yeah. But basically anything can be on there. Anything that you're leading a group of, of learners through okay. can, can be sold on there. So it can be a specialized. We've, we've had sales where we've sold asphalt mix training. Like how oh. to mix asphalt. Yeah. So you name it, it's on there. It, or it has been. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right now, uh, because of COVID and virtual, there's a lot of, it's it's a pretty, it's a much smaller marketplace than pre-COVID. Okay. Because there are still a lot of learnings that have not moved virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, there's been a lot of casualties in the learning and development space, hmm. especially in the public training. Um, there were a lot of companies that have just ceased to exist uh, because they were carrying all these big footprints, uh, yeah. training rooms, and they just couldn't afford to keep it up. So the industry is in, in a bit of transition, but that marketplace is absolutely there. Um, and there are other marketplaces like it. Um, yeah, I think it's just interesting up. because a lot of times the online business owners or these online entrepreneurs, a lot of people who listen to the, this this podcast, they only really know a way of you know creating sales funnels and marketing funnels and selling things mm-hmm. on their own platform. And that's not the only way to go. And so I do like to highlight the diversity of business models and the diversity of sales models and ways to get your content in front of the right audience. So it's interesting to hear about the marketplace uh, that you guys are offering and just, it's a neat model and there's opportunity to, you know, expand or grow this model going forward. I think. I agree. I mean, that the biggest learning for people who, who go out on their own to start trying to sell public training is how darn hard it is to put bombs in seats. Yep. It's just not easy. And you need every avenue. You need to you need to explore every avenue. And you have to think when you're looking at a third party site and as well, one of the things you have to consider is most people don't want to buy from a third party if they're individuals. They want to deal direct with you. Hmm. So if you're advertising a seat for sale on a third party and you're worried, oh, I'm gonna lose my clients, it's not gonna happen. Because if they knew you, they would go to you. Mm-hmm. So what you're trying to do is pick up the people who don't know you, pick up the people who you didn't hit with your marketing and piggyback off all the marketing that these other platforms are doing, whether it's ours or whether it's one of the other platforms, uh, whether it's all of them. And it That's an interesting all. thought. So I think when you're trying to fill seats, every loss, every empty seat is unrecoverable revenue. Yep. It's gone. It's disappeared just like milk going bad in your fridge or uh, mm-hmm. bread going moldy. Like it's, it's just gone. Uh, so you lose the opportunity for that sale, for future sales, for word of mouth sales to other clients. So any chance you get to put your stuff out there to be found, you should take it. And listen, there's a reality in our world that not every course runs once it's listed. And I would say that 80% of advertised courses don't run in my yeah. experience. Well, and so people beat themselves up over this. Sorry, I, I feel like I just talked over you, but. People beat themselves up over this. They do a launch and they get like three signups and they think, oh, that's a flop. No, not necessarily. Like you need long runways, large, warm audiences. You need a lot of leads coming through. There's a huge effort that goes into selling programs and courses. Um, And you need a well-established brand with a big audience to be able to fill those to capacity. So yeah, I love that reality check. Yeah. You need to not worry about what it's costing you because our platforms, we're not cheap. Like we are in business to make money as well. And so we have to make money selling a course, right? And we're mm-hmm. not charging up. And I'm not just talking about our platform, but any of these platforms have a cost associated with them. 
And sometimes that scares people away. Say, oh, I can't afford to give away that kind of discount. You want me to give a 20% sale, plus you have to take a piece of it. But at the end of the day, if that seat's out empty, uh, not only did you lose that, but what if that was the one seat that would have made it profitable for you? Mm -hmm. And so you didn't have to cancel your class. But at the end of the day, if the only sale you got from was from that platform, just don't run the course. Mm -hmm. You cancel it, you, re you postpone it. Okay. Uh, it's not as big a risk as you think. And I think that everyone should take advantage of all of those opportunities. Yeah, um, that's really great to know. I think that just exposes us to another way to market and get our courses in front of people. Hey, thanks so much for talking today. We covered a lot about, you know, running live events and what's the outlook for 2022 and the hybrid model and marketing. I think it's great. I really appreciate your time. And I think people are going to learn a lot from this. And I hope it opens people's thinking up so they go explore some of these um these topics that we that we just touched on really and and dig deep into it for yourself and how it might work for your business yeah listen i really appreciate it it's fun i love this conversation i love the industry and what's happening in it now so uh thank you very much for having me on really me too it. and i'm curious about all these companies that went under because it sounds like there's an opportunity for us if we're really comfortable with the online way i think uh that just that just is exciting absolutely like sorry guys move over <laughs> <laughs> i'm willing to sit there yes i'm willing to take over thank you for listening please share leave a review on apple podcasts and better yet connect on social media it can feel really isolating talking into this mic it's tough for an extrovert like me so please send me a message and let me know what you think of the show. I welcome feedback and ideas because I too am always learning from you.